After an electric night in London, we got a lot of answers about a lot of fighters, but a bunch of new questions as well. It's Sunday, March 20th. I am E. Spencer Kite, and these are the next day takeaways. Welcome back, everybody, to the show. I am E. Spencer Kite. It is the UFC London next day takeaways. Looking back on Saturday's phenomenal show at the O2 Arena. It exceeded all expectations. Um, everybody was hyped for this. I know we were super pumped talking about it um, on the Severe MMA podcast on preview show on Wednesday. One of the things I said early on in that show was that you can feel the electricity for those events coming through the screen because the crowd is there early, because they are in full throat and ultra supportive of every fighter from the UK that makes the walk, whether it's the first fight or the last fight. And I think you felt that on Saturday. It was so great to have fans back. And I know that fans have been at pay-per-views in various locations throughout the United States. It's not the same. Fans at those events don't necessarily turn up for the first fight. There isn't that same level of pride and support simply because of the flag as we see in international shows and we don't we don't even have it here in Canada to a small extent you'll get hometown fighters getting that kind of support but you don't just see the overall national pride and the overall we're supporting every single soul representing the United Kingdom in this region that makes the walk as we saw on Saturday and it was absolutely electric from start to finish. I want to work our way through the card. No real kind of rant yet off the top. I'm going to kind of save them and, and dole them out over the course of the show. So we get the main event. Tom Aspinall comes out. Straight armbar finish of Alexander Volkov in 3 minutes and 45 seconds for his fifth straight UFC win. Nobody beats Alexander Volkov like this. Um, the takeaway for me is that Tom Aspinall is world-class. And I said in writing up a story about him and, and having spoken with him on Wednesday, he had told me, you know, this is about answering questions for myself. I don't know how I'm going to respond walking out in front of 20,000 people or fighting a guy like Volkov that has his level of experience, but I'm ready to test myself and I can't wait to answer these questions. And I said in the story, that there's also a little piece of it that feels like, but he knows those answers. I think Tom Aspinall knows that he is world-class, and I think we saw that on Saturday. That was a, beyond being a tremendous performance in terms of execution, that was a confident performance. He was in there and he took it to Alexander Volkov right out of the shoot. He was changing, he changed levels well the couple times that he decided to take the fight to the canvas. That three minutes and 45 seconds was as much about showing Alexander Volkov as much as he could to get him out of there as quickly as he did, but also about showing the rest of the division, here's a sneak peek of what I can do. This isn't the full assortment of my skills, but it's a little taste of everything that I have in the toolkit, and you sure as hell better be ready for me because I'm coming. He's 28 years old. He's six foot five. He moves like a middleweight, maybe even a maybe even a welterweight. It's probably more fair to say a welterweight. 
because middleweight has been so terrible as of late outside of Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker. He is a legit problem in this division. I think he right now looks like a legitimate contender, looks like a guy that I can't wait to see fight those upper echelon talents. He called for a fight with Tai Tuivasa after the bout, said, I drink beer, you drink beer, let's drink beer together and, and get in a fist fight. I like the idea in theory. I'm someone that never wants to match parallel emerging fighters up unless there's something really big at stake. And I and I just don't feel like with where the division is that the winner of that fight is going to then sit around for a while and wait for Francis Ngannou to get back and fight for the title. And so it feels like it would be too far away from a championship opportunity to have those two guys fight. I said on Saturday that I would mention who I want Tom to actually face. And for me, it's Stipe Miocic, um, the former champion, former two-time champion. He's fought two guys over the last four years, going on five years now because we're exactly 51 weeks out since his last fight. He's 39 years old. He has the reputation, but to me also needs to kind of show me something and prove something before he gets right back into the mix. It's the same way that I feel about John Jones, that I don't want to see John Jones fight Stipe and just say, whoever wins this one goes into the championship fight because they've both been out for a while. We know who they are. I'm going to sneeze. This is killing me. I think we beat it. We know who they are. I want to see them face and, and prove that they can beat members of this current class of heavyweights before we just run them out there into an interim title fight or have them then hold down a position, have one of them hold down a position to eventually face Francis Ngannou. We've seen that fight for Stipe twice. Went great the first time for him, not so great the second time. I think the second time is what the third fight would look like. Very similar to, to his fights with Daniel Cormier. First fight, great for DC, catches him on the break. Second fight, not so great for DC. Third fight, not so great for DC. I want to see those two guys, and specifically Stipe, back in the mix against a Tom Aspinall, or a Tai Tuivasa, or a Serial Gun. Somebody in that grouping that we know is going to be at the top of this division and legitimate title challenger for the next four, five, eight years... Because if he's going to just come back and if John is going to just come into this division and be be granted pass into the championship mix, it then sets these guys back. It then puts another fight in between the Tai Tuivasas and Tom Aspinalls that shouldn't be there. What you do as an active fighter and in the cage should should get you rewards. And after a performance like this, I would rather see Tom Aspinall go out get to face a former world champion that we hold in high regard and prove himself against that guy than to go out and, and face Tai Tuivasa where we're automatically losing an ascending fighter and it doesn't necessarily carry the same weight as beating someone as, like Stipe Miocic would. Moving on to the co-main event, Arnold Allen goes out and, and I think all of us that, that taped that preview show for Severe said it at the same time um, on Saturday on Twitter. 
absolutely wrong in terms of our assessment. We all said he's got a grapple. If he goes out and decides to throw with Dan Hooker, it's going to be a mistake. Could lead to him getting caught. Arnold, we owe you an apology. He goes out and hits Dan Hooker with everything, including the kitchen sink, to get a first-round stoppage win midway through the opening round. Just an absolutely blistering performance from a tremendous fighter who is criminally underrated. And I tweeted out my all caps, pay attention to results, not just hype and talk after, after Arnold Allen got his victory. He's 9-0 in the UFC. He's won 11 consecutive fights. He's 28 years old. No one does stuff like that to Dan Hooker. And yet here we are now nine fights in and he's just having his moment. He's just having his breakout opportunity. And that to me is wrong. That's a mistake. That's a that's a failing of the system. Part of it is that Arnold Allen hasn't been as active as he would like, as the promotion would like, as we would hope for a fighter ascending the way he has been. He's one of those guys that has kind of been, been bit by the injury bug just enough after every fight that it puts... 9 to 12 months between each appearance. His last fight coming into this was 11 months ago against Sadiq Youssef. But none of that ends up mattering to me and shouldn't matter in my opinion because of the results. He's 9-0 now. He beat Sadiq Youssef before this in a fight where Sadiq was expected to to beat him and move forward and, and climb the ladder. He goes out now and destroys Dan Hooker, who is a guy that has never been beaten like that. Yes, he was taken down and submitted by Islam Hashev last time out. Now he moves back down. And I will definitely touch on the weight thing that Harry Powell and I talked about a little bit on Twitter on yes- yesterday in a second. But nobody beats Dan like that. We know the quality of Dan Hooker. And this is why I was so excited about this matchup. We know who Dan Hooker is and what he brings to the table. And for Arnold Allen to go out there and run through him like that, To me, it means he should be fighting for the title or at the very, very least paired up with a guy like Max Holloway. I understand the Calvin Cater call out. You don't want to overshoot your shot. You want to ask for something reasonable. But when you're 9-0 in the UFC and you're coming off a performance like that, to me, reasonable is give me a title shot or give me the last guy I've got to beat to get to a title shot. Because with all due respect to Calvin Cater who is tough as nails, who had a great performance against Giga Chikadze at the start of the year. He's just a step behind that absolute elite pack. And so if it's not Yair Rodriguez or Max Holloway, it needs to be the winner of the upcoming title fight between Alexander Volkanovsky and Chan Sung Jung. Because you, again, and, and I know I talk about this all the time, I will talk about it later on when I get to Jack Shore. If winning nine fights in a row in the UFC was easy, more people would do it. If we keep putting another fight in front of these people, we're going to lose these these athletes that are on these incredible streaks and end up having situations where it's you won two and now you're getting a title shot. Like capitalize on momentum. Give these people opportunities when they're coming off tremendous fights and I get that there are a lot of people that say oh they're not a big enough star and they're not a big enough name and people don't know them well that's on the UFC 
It's on the athletes themselves. And to a small extent, it's on us as media to talk about these athletes more and to promote these athletes more and to expound on the talents and virtues and skills and reasons why someone like Arnold Allen should get a title shot. Or at the very least, as I've said, fight a guy like Max Holloway so that if he wins that one, then he's guaranteed a title shot. He shouldn't have to keep clearing more hurdles after winning nine straight fights in the UFC and running his winning streak to 11. I'm going to take a sip of coffee here. Getting a little fired up. The irony of following a conversation about Arnold Allen and promotion and not a big enough star by moving into Patty Pimblett's fight against Kazula Vargas is not lost on me. Patty Pimblett goes out, has a tremendous walkout as we all knew he would, gets clipped right out of the gate by Kazula Vargas, shoots for a panic takedown, ends up on bottom. Works his way back up, ends up getting a takedown, getting the rear naked choke finish, and it's the big celebration, right? There was a ton of hype for Patty Pimblett. From the start of this show to the end of this show, it felt like there were two athletes on this card that the UFC especially wanted to highlight. Patty Pimblett, Tom Aspinall. Aspinall I get. He's in position. He's, he's on his way up. He's in the main event. He's fighting a guy that's been a top 10 fighter forever. We know the quality of, of what it means to beat Alexander Volkov. Great. Makes sense. Patty Pimblett, not so much. This was a layup. This was, as we said on the preview show, as my guy Harry said, your man's trash. And he still clipped Patty Pimblett out of the gate. I understand all of the excitement around Patty Pimblett. He is absolutely magnetic in terms of a personality in terms of the charm and charisma and all of those things. He is not the Liverpool version of Conor McGregor. The talent isn't at that level. I don't think Paddy Pimblett ever becomes a top 15 fighter in the lightweight division, yet alone a championship contender in the lightweight division. And look, same as always. If Paddy Pimblett goes out and proves me wrong, I will jump on the show. I will make an entire post offering a mea culpa to Patty the Batty and the good people of Liverpool. But I just don't think it's there. And I think it's going to be super interesting to me to see how the UFC decides to play this going forward and how far we're going to get down the line before people start to turn. So when I say that, what I mean is this. Patty is always going to have a legion of fans. There are always going to be people that are super excited to see him compete, rightfully so. He's always going to draw eyeballs. I think there will come a time, probably not too far down the line, where he's headlining a show or absolute worst case co-main eventing. But I think there's also going to be a point where probably two or three more wins down the road, even the most ardent supporters are starting to ask for a step up in competition and to see him face somebody with some substance. So far, it's been Luigi Vendramini and Kazula Vargas who are a combined two and six in the UFC now. They are showcase fights the same way Bellator used to showcase Michael Venom Page. And if you remember when MVP was on the come up, he was beating all these people, great finishes. Everybody was excited out of the gate. And then it got to a point where we went, okay, but can he beat somebody? Like, can he fight somebody? 
rather than just go out and, and get these layups. And I think we're going to get there with Patty. Um, we saw Ilya Tapuria call him out. And then Patty say afterwards that he wants, he didn't say specifically that he wants no part of Ilya Tapuria, but he said he doesn't want any of these top 15 fights. And, and from a business standpoint, it's the Sean O'Malley play, right? Makes complete sense. But at the same time, I think the UFC is going to steer clear of danger of, of ultra dangerous matchups with Patty Pimblett. This isn't going to be a fast lane to the top situation. This is going to be a Sunday drive because they are going to try to get the absolute most they can out of him. And it makes sense. I understand it. He's 27. There isn't actually a rush. The division is deep. You've got lots of other guys. But for me, the takeaway, the thing I'm looking forward to with Patty Pimblett is seeing him in there with somebody of substance. Because if you go back to his Cage Warrior days, he was an absolute star. But when he got in there with the best competition he faced, he lost. He lost to Nadine Armani. He lost to Soren Bach. Both very, very good fighters. Patty was a little younger. Obviously, it's earlier in his career. But he needs to prove that at some point. He needs to, he needs to clear that hurdle. Unlike Arnold Allen, who just cleared one in Dan Hooker. We're not, I don't think we're going to see that with Patty for a while. I would be really surprised if we saw it next or even in two more fights. I think we're going to get a real slow play here. And I'm interested to see how long fans continue to kind of just condone this, support this, support the approach, or start pushing back wanting to see their man get a get a fight against somebody that moves them forward. Because I do think when he gets in there with even somebody of, of substance like Drew Dober, who fought last week, right? I think if you put Patty Pimblett in there with Drew Dober three months, four months, six months from now, the Patty Pimblett experience comes to a very quick end. And I think the UFC knows that. I think Patty knows that. And I think they're going to do their best to avoid that happening for a long, long time. Quickly through the rest of the main card, Gunnar Nelson comes back, does what Gunnar Nelson does against Takeshi Seto. 30-26 uh, is again across the board. The takeaway for me, and, and I can't believe I never really got to this point in Gunny's first run, is that Gunnar Nelson is, is Damian Maya light. Um, he's a guy that is phenomenal at what he does but is also limited in his upside. And I think, listen, you guys know me. You, you listen to this podcast and are following this, this newsletter, which I greatly appreciate. So you know I have all the time in the world for the eighth best welterweight in the world or the 17th best welterweight in the world and feel there is great value in fighters that just know their place in the ecosystem, occupy their space in the division, and do what they do best. Gunnar Nelson is absolutely one of those guys. I just think there was a push when he arrived to crown him as a contender because of the hype that he carried from his grappling career, which is outstanding, and his, his credentials on the ground are, are phenomenal. He was connected to Conor McGregor and the SBG crew, still obviously has a very good relationship with them, John Kavanaugh in his corner on Saturday. And there was this push to make Gunny more of a thing than he necessarily was. He, he didn't clear any of those hurdles to sort of validate his top 15 status. 
I think now we can see him or look at him as a guy that lives just outside of that. Maybe he creeps into the lower third, but he just kind of is who he is. He's not going to go out there and wow you on the feet. He's not going to go out there and, and run through absolutely everybody. But if you mess around with him on the ground, if he takes you to the ground, it's a long night. And we saw that on Saturday. I hope Gunny can stay healthy and continue to compete. Um, he's a hell of a talent when he when he's in there, even if he's not a top 15 welterweight. Loved seeing him back. And, and I just think that if we kind of reframe how we think about him, and this applies to so many different athletes, we'll enjoy it more. We'll, we'll appreciate it more. And for me, this sport is about enjoyment and appreciation. One fighter that I absolutely enjoyed the hell out of on Saturday and I've always enjoyed seeing her compete is Molly McCann. Meemaw goes out and just puts it on Luana Carolina out of the gate. Um, dialed it back a little bit or kind of let off as the adrenaline started to go a little bit. And then hits that Chris Jericho Judas effect in the third round to get the wild current leader for knockout of the year finish. Early in the third round, just goes ape, hurries back out to the cage to be able to watch her teammate Patty Piblet compete, allegedly pounding back some, some howler head. Molly is one of those fighters that I think is going to be best suited, kind of in the role she's in right now. She's won her last two fights. She beat Jiang Kim before this, earning fight of the nights, earning fight of the night honors, excuse me, where She's not going to be a contender. She's she's maybe, again, sort of similar to Gunny, maybe crawls into that top, lower third of the top 15. But she is a weaponize your pace, in your face, try to just beat you with volume and pressure and tenacity kind of fighter. She's not a world-class athlete. She's not the most technical or the most skilled but God damn, if she doesn't have a ton of heart and a ton of grit and a ton of toughness that she can go out there. And you saw it right out of the gate in this fight. The first couple good shots that landed on Luana Carolina, she wanted no part of it. The way she was turning to avoid those shots and get away from Molly McCann tells you all you need to know. And I think if Molly can continue, she's now in a great place in terms of two straight wins. So she doesn't have to worry about fighting for her job as she was going into that Gian Kim fight last year. She's secure. She's safe. She's in a great spot. If she could go out and continue to fight maybe a little bit dialed back than, than she was right out of the gate on Saturday, and that'll probably be the case because her next fight most likely won't be in London. Um, but just continue fighting this way and, and playing to those strengths, playing to that conditioning, playing to that grit, playing to that tenacity, to where she can take a shot to give one back. She's going to continue to be one of these just absolutely beloved fighters that it doesn't matter whether she's a contender or not. Everybody is going to look forward to seeing her compete. First fight of the main card, Ilya Tapuria gets picked apart, dropped early by Jay, Jai Herbert, Somehow survives a head kick that I think most mere mortals are absolutely out from. Rallies back, gets a finish early in the second round where he just, I said it on Saturday and I felt bad as soon as I said it. When, when Jai Herbert gets knocked out, he gets knocked the fuck out. Like he gets knocked all the way out. 
It's not just he gets dropped and the referee jumps in and saves him and he's protesting. He goes completely out. Like, scary out. And I'm very glad that Jai was back to his senses and, and all reports are that he's fine coming out of it. But just a hellacious finish from Ilya Tapuria up in weight. My guy Harry, I've referenced him a couple times. Please follow him. BJJ underscore Harry Powell. Um, pointed it out in the midst of that, in the midst of the aftermath of that fight. It's the left hand of the body that really sets up the finish because it forces Jai Herbert to kind of take an extra beat and that creates the opening for the right hand. For me, this was confirmation that Ilya Tapuria is world-class. I thought that going into and coming out of the Ryan Hall fight because you don't do what he did against Ryan Hall against Ryan Hall. We've seen that now many times over. But it's also confirmation to me that this dude needs to figure out his weight cutting situation and his lifestyle situation and get his ass back down to featherweight because as much as he wants to fight Patty Pimblett and as much as he got the victory here, we saw the dramatic size difference and reach difference and speed difference in this fight against Jai Herbert. And that's just going to continue to persist and become more pronounced as he goes up in, in the ranks. Now, it's not like there are a bunch of six foot one, six foot two, great big long reach guys at the top of this division, but they're world-class fighters. And and that, you know, Jai Herbert is is a very good fighter, but he's not, you know, Tony Ferguson, Rafael Dos Anjos, Benil Dariush, guys like that that are are legit proven world-class fighters. And look, maybe I'm wrong. Again, same as the Patty Pimblet thing. If I am, I will be on here telling you I'm wrong and, and offering my apology. But I don't think Ilya Tapuria can hang with that group at his size. I think he is perfectly situated to compete at featherweight. Whatever happened earlier this year in his fight that was going to be against Charles Jordan when, when Jordan stepped up to, to face him on short notice... Get it figured out. Get into the PI, work with them, do all the tests, get all the nutrition sorted out. Because this is a guy that, to me, looked like a burgeoning contender at featherweight. And as good as he looked on Saturday, I can see a top end to it. I can see a ceiling to where it he can't quite get past. And it's just because of the size limitations. And so, tremendous effort, still undefeated. It kind of cements the fact that this dude is just world-class and tough as nails and somebody to absolutely pay attention to. 25 years old, too. Like, just phenomenal, the young talent climbing the ranks in the UFC right now. But get back to featherweight because there are better opportunities and, and to me, a higher ceiling fighting at 45 than there is fighting at 55. Run through the prelims real quick here. Makwan Amarkani gets the first round anaconda, anaconda choke finish of Mike Grundy. One of those things where we get the big lead into Mike Grundy's fight, dedicating it to his father who is terminally ill. Um, God bless Mike Grundy and, and his family. Makwan Amarkani is the most one of the most confounding fighters on the roster for me right now. Goes out and has a performance like this, but can also go out and lay an egg like he did against Kemuela Kirk last year. Um, says he's dedicated. I The takeaway is show me next time. Prove it, again, prove it again next time. Have this performance next time. Show me that you've got more than seven minutes of gas next time. 
when you don't catch a choke early. Um, then, then, then I will start believing you. Always going to be entertaining, though. Always a guy that I want to see in there because he has this potential, and that's always appealing. That's always alluring to me. Um, Sergei Pavlovich comes back after two years away. Takeaway is that this dude is is somebody to watch in the heavyweight division. We talk all the time. Talked earlier about Tom Aspinall and Tai Tuivasa, and I think Chris Dawkins is probably still in that group despite the loss to Derek Lewis. Pavlovich deserves to be in that class of emerging heavyweights. Knocks out Shamil Abdurahimov with a beautiful kind of shovel uppercut and then finish him on the ground. He got thrown to the wolves out of the gate against Alistair Overeem. It was horrific matchmaking. It was unfair matchmaking. Um, and he and he caught a beating for it. But he's come back and earned three straight first round finishes since then. He's 29 years old. He is absolutely gigantic in terms of like overall size and thickness for a human being and somebody that is going to continue to be a problem, going to continue to be someone that I think everybody should watch in this division. Because if he can stay active, if he can get some of these next name fights that are that are ahead of him now because he should move into the top 10, he could be a guy that uses this year as kind of a coming out year, as a breakthrough year, as we've seen kind of over the last few years, different fighters do. So definitely pay close attention. Paul Craig goes out and does what Paul Craig does, lays on the ground, gets stuck there for a little bit, eats some shots, and then fight. I, I mean, this dude must be like hypnotizing people to convince them to come back to the ground with him. Because for some reason, Nikita Krylov stands up, postures out, comes diving back in to throw some more shots, and Paul Craig just throws up the triangle and gets the finish. He is undefeated. In his last six fights, he has won four straight overall. I don't think he's the title contender yet that some people have suggested, but I sure love the Anthony Smith call out. I sure love that fight. And if you want to do five rounds, sure. We don't really need it because those two are finishers and it will be done. My guess is inside of one, either Paul Craig will get a finish or Anthony Smith will get a finish and it will be all kinds of fireworks. But Paul Craig to me is, is another example and and I say this all the time on this show and all the time on the newsletter of a fighter that you just have to be patient with. He was inconsistent out of the gate because he couldn't, he, he didn't quite know how to play to his strength on the ground. He didn't quite understand that he can just do what he does best rather than try to fight some of these guys on the feet and mix it up with them in, in areas where he's not yet proficient and he's getting better at striking, but he's still just an ace on the ground, right? He came out, wins his debut, loses to Tyson Pedro, loses to Khalil Roundtree, gets the Hail Mary against Magomed Ankalaev, loses to Jimmy Crute, gets the third round finish over Kennedy and Zechiku, gets thrown in against Alonzo Menafield and gets knocked out. Unbeaten since then, though. It's like he needed those fights to figure out, well, this whole trying to stand with these dudes is dumb. I'm going to just play to my strengths. And that's what we've seen thus far over these last bunch of fights. It's been phenomenal to see. I don't know why. Like I said it yesterday. Paul Craig is that guy that you just don't mess around with on the ground. And the minute you get down there, to me, you need to be selling out to get up. You need to just, just worry about defense and getting away from this guy. Because if he has wrist control or is able to get his, his feet on your hips and keep his hips in good position, 
you're in trouble even if you don't know it. We know it at home. I was sitting there shouting at my television throughout that fight that Nikita Krylov has got his arms locked up or he's got his wrist control or something. Like, just get out of there. Don't go to the ground with this guy. And if Paul Craig continues to do this, all the, all the love, all the support, all the toasts in the world to this dude still just finding ways to finish guys after getting the hell kicked out of him, after looking like he's on his way to a long night at the office. Shout out to Paul Craig. Which brings us to my guy, Jack Shore. I have made no bones about it. I am 100% team tank. He is the poster child right now for my pay attention to results, pay attention to performance above all else. Because Jack Shore is undefeated in his actual fighting life. He never lost at amateur, 12-0. He's never lost now as a professional moving to 16-0 with a win over Timor Valiev, a very tough Timor Valiev on Saturday night. I, I mean, I just don't know what to say anymore with him. My takeaway is that we're really ridiculous for not being more in on Jack Shore and not giving Jack Shore greater opportunities. I know you can make the argument that, oh, well, he hasn't fought anybody. He hasn't beaten anyone. You can only beat the people that they put in front of you. That's that's not up to him. Like He doesn't get to just pick the names that are put on the contract and slipped across the table to him. And so for him to continue to go out, no matter the opponent, no matter the circumstance, and get these victories, it should be the indication that this kid is world-class and deserves a massive step up in competition. He should be ranked. He should be fighting ranked opponents. I understand that he is quiet and doesn't do a lot of media or hasn't gotten a lot of media opportunities. That's another thing. I'll get to that in a second. He doesn't go out and talk a bunch of crap. His Instagram isn't hot with, you know, all kinds of fire videos and, and cool fits and stuff like that. He's just a workman-like kid from Wales that goes out and handles his business. And as I said earlier with Arnold Allen, as I've said a couple weeks ago with Islam Hashev, as I will say time and again, if winning 16 fights was easy, more 16 consecutive fights were easy, more people would do it. If going even just 5-0 in the UFC were easy, more people would be 5-0 in the UFC. But they're not. And it's time for us as fans, as media, as supporters of these athletes and these fights to start demanding opportunities for these people that are delivering the results. Maybe I'm the outlier here. And please tell me in the comments if I am the absolute outlier here. Because what I care about and at the end of the day, what matters most is the performance in the cage. You can say whatever you want and be as flamboyant and charismatic and gregarious and wild on Instagram and Twitter and in videos and interviews and all of those things in the lead up to fights that get people interested. But if you step into that octagon and cannot deliver, I don't care. Because no amount of talk is going, well, maybe... See, now I got to stop myself because I was going to say no amount of talk is going to carry you to a title if you can't deliver results. 
That may not be true. I think Conor McGregor is is an odd is a rare case, and and that's that's the difference, right? You have the guy like Conor, but Conor is a one of one. Sean O'Malley, for all of his engagement, all of his flamboyance, all of his attention that he's drawn, if he goes out and stumbles as he's trying to climb the the bantamweight ladder against some of these top 10 guys that are in front of him. He gets matched up with, say, Pedro Munoz and can't beat Pedro Munoz. He's not then going to get a championship opportunity without beating somebody that's in front of him just because he's popular. And so if you get these guys like Jack Shore, if you get these guys like Arnold Allen that continue winning fights, if you get these guys like Islam Mahashev that continue winning fights against skilled, talented opponents and they're winning time and again without losing give them their opportunities get them their shots advocate for them as fans as supporters as media because at the end of the day that's the thing that matters everybody it's so wild to me that so many media members complain about how personality and how it's 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 marketing over merit these days and that personalities win out over results but then we don't do shit about promoting and talking about these fighters that are delivering results like there's it's like there's a disconnect it's like there's an uh, this belief that we we don't have any say we don't have any power we don't have any influence i don't necessarily 46 of you god bless every single one of you will view this article and listen to this podcast but the Ariel Hawanis of the world, the Luke Thomases of the world, the Ben Folks and Chad Dundases of the world that have these greater platforms and can speak to larger audiences and convince people and tell people that Jack Shore is somebody you have to be looking out for and that should get a greater opportunity and is as good and as talented and as skilled as some of these fighters in the bantamweight division that have a bigger name and have a little bit more momentum and attention and hype because of their personality that's going to resonate. That's going to get there. I joked and sarcastically snarky posted about Patty Pimblett not having a Wikipedia page on Saturday because that's another one of those bullshit arguments that we hear all the time, right? Ah, oh, this card's trash because there's nine people that don't have Wikipedia pages. Well, Patty Pimblett doesn't, and yet everybody has been in on Patty Pimblett from the start of his UFC career. A lot of people were in on Patty Pimblett when he was fighting in Cage Warriors. So it means we understand the means and the opportunity to identify these talents that are really, truly special talents outside of everything else. They don't need to have a Wikipedia page. They don't need to necessarily be front and center on a UFC broadcast for us to know who they are before they get here. And so if we can do it with guys like Patty Pimblett that have personality, if we can do it with Sean O'Malley and, and crown him a future champion when he's winning decisions over Terry and Ware and Andre Sukumtath to start his career, we sure as shit can do it with guys like Jack Shore that are beating quality fighters like Timur Valiev. We sure as shit can do it with Arnold Allen, who just went out and did something to Dan Hooker that nobody else has done to Dan Hooker and is 9-0 in the UFC now. And anybody that says we can't and anybody that says it's not their responsibility it's all on the UFC. To me, is full of shit. It just is. It just that's just the way it is. You choose who you want to advocate for. You choose who you want to put your words and put your name and put your influence behind. And if it's just the people that are going to bring views and clicks and 
get people talking. That's fine. That's your choice. Fully entitled to it. But it's horseshit to me. Because these guys don't need Wikipedia pages. We can see them compete. We are in a time now where there has never been more access to these athletes in terms of social media, fight pass, all the different platforms and means we have to understand and identify these people and to say, well, they don't have a Wikipedia page or but who have they beaten or they don't have a personality is just finding ways to detract from the results. And then to turn around and say, well, results don't seem to matter and it's too bad that results don't matter and we're getting these marketing people. It's just arguing points to argue points. And it's just, it's just, it's such a bullshit dichotomy to me and such hypocrisy to me that clearly it works me up even on a Sunday morning after a fantastic fight card. Wrapping up the London show, Elise Reed goes out and gets a split decision victory. Listen, Derek Cleary, I don't know what you were watching. How you scored that fight 30-27 for Corey McKenna is beyond me. Um, even if you went 29-28, Corey McKenna, I could argue, I could argue for you. I could, I could support your case. But to give Corey McKenna all three rounds is absolute trash. Elise Reed looked good, throwing the right hand, picking her apart, doing well to, to keep it standing for the most part. Good win. For the former CFFC champion who is now back down at strawweight where she belongs after fighting Sajara Eubanks in her debut up at flyweight. Corey McKenna, I think, is still a very good prospect. I think she got done wrong a little bit by her corner um, this weekend. She needs to grapple more. She's got a very short reach as much as she's got some pop in her hands. We saw in that fight, every time she looked for a takedown, she scored a takedown and did well from top. Um, grapple. Just, just get to it. It's how she won her fight on the Contender Series. It's how she beat Kay Hansen in, in her first fight. Grapple more. You'll be fine. Opening bout of the evening, Mohamed Mahayev. I mean, you couldn't have asked for, for delivering on the hype and the expectations better than this. Comes out 58 seconds, flying knee into a modified guillotine choke against Cody Durden. 21 years old, unbeaten as a pro. Another guy that was undefeated, was the best amateur in the world. Hands down, consensus top amateur in the world for a number of years. A um, couple different IMAF titles, transitions to pro, continues to be undefeated. He is the goods, man. If, if there's anybody from this show that you highlight and circle and pay attention to long-term, it should be Mo. Um, I don't even think it's going to be that long-term. He called out Tim, Tim Elliott in his post-fight, he said all the way through that he wants to win this one, then get a top 15 guy and try to win the title by the by the end of next year. Um, I don't know that the UFC will hustle him along that quickly, but Flyweight's one of those divisions where after two good wins, you're fighting top 15 talents. And if you start beating top 15 talents, like it may not take him more than five fights to get to a championship opportunity. And if that's the case and he continues blazing a trail the way he has then he absolutely should get it. I've just spent the entire the entirety of this show saying we have to reward. Continues to go out and put up results like that. Give it to him. Doesn't matter about age. Doesn't matter about personality. Doesn't matter about anything. Results are what matter to me and, and what should matter in my book. And if you can go out and do him the way that he did it, more power to him. Great to see him in there delivering on, on all the promise, on all the expectation, on all the hype. 
This was an electric show. I'm clearly fired up about it. I've got lots to write about in the week ahead because we jump right back into it. UFC Columbus next week. It is a it is a deep quality event as well. It's been a really good run of fight night events here in my books. Um, before we get into a week off, this is week eight of eight. So we finish out the, the eight-week stretch with a great card headlined by heavyweights Curtis Blades and Chris Dawkins. You've got Joanne Wood and Alexa Grasso, Asker Askarov and Kai Kara France in a possible flyweight title eliminator. Matt Brown fights at home against Brian Barberina. Jennifer Maya against Manon Fierro, which is a terrific fight. Neil Magny, Max Griffith, great fight. Max Griffin, sorry, great fight. Mark Jacasey against Slavaklaus, Vyacheslav Borshev. Sarah McMahon, Carol Hosa, Chris Gutierrez, Dana Batgaril, Mateus Nicolau, and David Dvorak. Like just a really deep quality event that's going to be going to be another great night. The crowd in Columbus hasn't seen a live event in 13 years. They are going to be amped. It's going to be fun. I cannot wait to see it. And now I'm going to decompress a little bit because I'm fired up. These shows do this to me. This sport does this to me. It comes from a place of love, comes from a place of passion, comes from a place of of really appreciating what these men and women do when they get out there. It also comes from a place of appreciating you guys supporting me and following this newsletter, subscribing to this newsletter, subscribing to my Review Week and Words newsletter um, that comes out every Saturday, and just the love you've shown and the support you show, continue to show. So thank you to everybody that does that. It means the world to me. Um, I greatly appreciate it. I hope you like the content that is coming out. And as I said, tell me in the comments if there's stuff you want to see, if there's more you want to know, if there's different areas you want me to explore, I'm here for it. I'm here to to tackle stuff and take on stuff and, and put stuff out that you you folks want to see, want to read, want to hear. If you're liking the podcast, not liking the podcast, want to see something different, Please again, let me know. I'm 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 all for it. I'm ready to go all in on this thing um, as we get through some some life changes here and as we get settled into the summer. I'm gonna go all out on this, and so it's coming. Stick with me. Continue to enjoy it. I will be back to regularly scheduled programming this week. Thank you for for bearing with me over a week where we didn't put much out. We got through the house stuff for now. Gonna gonna get it on the market and get through it. There's gonna be some more kind of hiccups along the way, but we'll navigate them. Enjoy your week. Take care of yourselves. Be good to one another. Know that you are loved. Know that you are special. Know that you are important. Know that at the absolute minimum, I'm thinking about you. I care about you. I want you here. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Love you, and we'll talk to you next Sunday.